We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. We are going to answer some questions, Ryan, here's we, as we conclude our show. So if you all have some, some recruiting or team questions, feel free to ask them and we'll, we'll address them. So um, let's, let's get to some of those. Cause some of the, some of these that I've started already are, are pretty good. Blaine Tiller doesn't like our topic of the show today, Ryan, he wants to talk about something else. So we will, we will give him that, uh, that right now, Blaine says, I want to hear about wide receiver recruiting minus Tate and secondary. I miss those uh, have been pain uh, pain points for Notre Dame for a while overall. I don't think receiver really became an issue until Dell Alexander showed up. I mean, right. let let's not forget that the the receiver classes that Notre Dame landed the two years before Dell showed up. Mm-hmm. In 2015, they signed Equinemy St. Brown, Miles Boykin, Jalen Guyton, and C.J. Sanders. Three out of four in the NFL, and now. C.J. could have been oh. if football was yeah. something he was passionate. He was an elite return man. In 2016, they signed uh, Kevin Stefferson, Javon McKinley, and Chase Claypool. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm sorry, but the rec- receiver recruiting, and then they had the down year in 2014. 2013, they signed Will Fuller, Corey Robinson, and Torrey Hunter Jr. It's pretty good. So, yeah. receiver. So three guys there. I mean, Will has carved out a, a career, obviously, in the NFL. The other two probably could have if they chose to be right. all in on football. You right. Know? Torrey so. Hunter's now playing professional baseball, minor league exactly. baseball. Corey Robinson decided, as anyone that knew him did, that there was going to come a point in time where football wasn't worth the things he would have to sacrifice because he's a really bright kid who had other interests. But as you said, could have probably been an NFL player if he decided that's something he was serious in and didn't have the concussion issues that he had. So that that re- recruiting receiver, it, you know what, Ryan? We had the same conversation when when Altry Denson was here as the running backs coach. I would literally have people jump on the message board of the place I used to work at and be like, "Well, look, no, you don't understand. Top running backs don't want to go to a school like Notre Dame. They don't want to go to class, and it's that whole thing, right? Whenever Notre Dame can't recruit a position, it's because the kids that happen to play that position across the entire freaking country don't want to go to class, right? That's the excuse that we use. And I'm sure. like, well, well, what, what did so? What happened when Tony Alford was here? What happened when when Benny Parmalee was here and they were getting, 
you know, James Aldridge is a five-star one year, Armando Allen and Robert Hughes, top 100 guys the next year, Jonas Gray, top 100 guy the next year, and then Sierra Wood, top 100 guy the next year, along with Theo Riddick. What, what miraculously changed when Autry Denson was hired, right? And then he leaves, and you see Lance Taylor come in, and all of a sudden we're talking about the Notre Dame. Like two years ago, we're looking at the Notre Dame backfield, and like, this is going to be a problem. Mm-hmm. This is and, and not a good problem. This is going to be, and then you go into the Georgia game, you got one healthy running back, and you're like, yeah, this isn't a great depth chart. And then just fast forward three seasons later, and we're like, show me more than three or four teams in the country with a better running back depth chart than Notre Dame. Yeah. Uh, why? So, so miraculously, all of a sudden, top running back? No, you had a bad guy there recruiting. Receiver recruiting is going to be fine once they get back to fixing the problems that were created by the previous guy. So I don't think they've been a pain for a while. They were a pain under Dell. But even then, they had classes they haven't taken advantage of. You had Mm -hmm. Kevin Austin, Brayden Lindsey, Lawrence Keyes, Joe Wilkins, and Micah Jones in that class. You you can't get one of those guys to develop into a big-time player. Then one guy you did for like a kind part part of a year in Kevin Austin. That's a coaching problem. You have Jordan Johnson, Xavier Watts in another class, and you ruined it. You know that that that's a coaching problem. That's a that was a Dell problem, not a Notre Dame problem. Okay, and and Chancey Stuckey's already already fixing that, so that's obviously a, a positive. But it does put a lot of pressure on this class to be successful. Sure. So Notre Dame has one receiver committed in Braylon James. We believe that after the success they had in the the visits last weekend, Notre Dame has is the team to beat. We reported this the weekend of the blue gold game, and, and we have no reason to have changed our mind. Nothing has changed since then that Notre Dame is now the team to beat for Jaden Greathouse. I'm not as confident in Notre I haven't been for a while. I'm not quite as confident with where things stand with Rodney Gallagher as Ryan is. But even then, we both will say, but there's still a lot to a long way to go with his recruitment when it comes to these summer visits. But Notre Dame, with their visit, was able to put themselves in – I don't know if there's a leader for Rodney, but he they're definitely in that top group. Would you say that's fair? Notre Dame is is in a, a group of schools with Ronan Hannafin. He's looking at Alabama. He's looking at Clemson. Ohio State's making a run at him. Oklahoma's making a run at him. So they're going to have their hands full there. But mm-hmm. he's a he's a top guy on their board. Malik Elzey's a guy that I think if Notre Dame really really pushed for him, they've had a, they'd have a pretty good shot at him. And I know that the staff is still trying to get involved with Tyler Williams. I don't think it's going to work. Brian Smith has a lot more optimism about this than I do. I hope he's right because he's down there. So I think he's going to be going to Lakeland soon. We should get some you know, some news about how that went. But Tommy Reese went and saw Tyler last week, and so that's obviously positive. So there's a lot of guys on the board, Blaine. The question for – the concern for me right now is they just got to close right and as we've learned like silent commitments don't mean a whole lot to me so i don't put a lot of stock in those so if we start hearing about this kid silent that kid silent that's fine but until you make a decision i don't i don't really care about that right get because if you're silent and you're taking visits you're you know you're still you can be wooed by somebody else but right now i think that i would say that notre dame is the leader i would feel comfortable saying at least two of those guys Mm-hmm. I think they're the leader for Jaden Greathouse, and you can pick one. Pick Gallagher or Hannafin. I think you know, between those two, I, I think they'll have a, a good shot at getting one of them at least. Yeah. Maybe uh, they get both, but at least one of them. I, I can feel, I'd feel good about that today. Out of that three, I think you need to get two out of three at least. Agreed. Right? Like, I mean, it'd be awesome if you could just hit home runs with all right. three, but 
I think that we'll have more clarity, obviously, on Great House moving forward. I feel like that one's just a little further along than the Gallagher one because I agree with you to that degree. Like, I think that Rodney Gallagher is infatuated with Notre Dame after his yeah. visit. I think that they're right at the top, but that recruitment, we don't 100% understand exactly when that's ending, right? So, like, right. that's where teams are going to have opportunities to get in. He's going to take more visits. Like, right. all that stuff's going to happen. They, right? Somebody like, can blow him away the way that Notre Dame did. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I did feel positive because Penn State's a team that people throw out a lot. I talked to Rodney, obviously, after the visit. He said good things, but, like, nothing that was, like, near what he was kind of putting out for about Notre Dame, you know? Like, I don't think that that one was as much a needle mover. So I thought that was a positive, obviously, but we have to see, obviously, where that one develops. I think that they are in a very great spot with Jaden Greathouse, which I'm happy about, obviously. I've, I've been a big fan of that kid since I first saw his tape. Ronan Hannafin's going to be an interesting one, man, because he's definitely a take. There's no doubt. But they – I mean – I thought they were close to closing it out after that junior day a couple months ago, honestly. Like, I thought it was close there. And then it's unfortunately just stayed open now where you're getting a lot more teams that are getting involved in this one. And, I mean, you could say all you want about – I mean, all Notre Dame fans in here, right, including myself, if Notre Dame offered me, that'd be a done deal. But the fact of the matter is is that Rowan Hannafin's not going to hang up the phone on Nick Saban, right? Like, they're going to call. Like, Riley's had – success putting out wide receivers, you know, and, and the fact that, you know, getting a call there, it's you're going to take the call and see what's up type of situation. So that one's going to be interesting to kind of to see. But I would say right now two out of three is the number that you need to get to. You need to have three impact wide receivers in this class, mm-hmm. hopefully a fourth, though, hopefully right. a fourth. Right. And because numbers are key because noted in the receivers a position where I believe Tom Maurice would like to play more guys. And he'd like more diverse skill sets. And, and let's just say that you, you talk about batting a thousand. Let's say they bat a thousand to get James, Greathouse, Gallagher, and Hannafin, which again, I mean, I'm I've always been a believer that schools don't bat a thousand. I mean, no, nobody really does. Even Bama rarely does that, right? But they're they they got a sh- I mean, they've got a shot at three different positions this year. I mean, that's that's the that's the wild thing. Like there's three different positions that I can think of that they've got a shot to bat a thousand. I mean, am, am I O line receiver and D line? I yeah. mean, you could say maybe they're not batting a thousand because Cardinal Tate. That that that's true. That's fair. You know, they they like him guess, a lot. But I get the I point. Being four big time players. Yeah. 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 No. No. Yeah. Yeah. When you when you bat, supplement it like that, batting yeah. a thousand to me is not. You got your number one, two, because as I've explained about recruiting, is you have a you have your your sort of your A list. These are the five difference makers. We need three of them. Right. you got three of them. That that's that's how you want it to be to me. So you could nitpick and say, yeah, OK, they're not quite at a thousand on Samson Oklahoma O-line and Cardinal Taylor receiver. That's fine. But you're talking about landing. A, if you're able to get that four man group, I mean, they, they, the thing I like about it is there's four distinct skill sets. None of them are same the same guy. There are some carryover traits, but none of them are the same guy. And I think that's important as well. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. 
Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Secondary recruiting right now, yep. Ryan, uh, safety, it's one dude, right? It's Caleb Downs. Mm-hmm. If they can get Caleb, great. Otherwise, it's just about making sure Peyton Bowen and, and Adon Schuler stay in the class. They're they're fine with those two. The Caleb yep. Downs is one of those guys you recruit just because he's an elite player. And those three guys together can play on the field the same time together. Yep. Cornerback now, recruiting is the more interesting one right now, right? I mean, that's where I think a lot of people, you know, are, are more focused on and and – I think that's the one position in this class that I have the the most concern about whether or not they're going to be able to get a class there that matches what they're doing everywhere else. Is that fair? And what yeah. would the, the board right now would be? Obviously, you've got Christian Gray, who's been on the board for a little while. Uh, he's a guy, obviously, the staff likes. I, I think that Notre Dame – even if he decides to go to another school soon, I think Notre Dame will continue to recruit him. They, you know, I'm confident in saying that. You you have uh, Calvin Simp- Simpson Hunt, who they just recently offered from Texas. You have Micah Tease. Not sure where things stand right there with him. And then, of course, you have Micah Bell. I'd say of those four guys right now, and, and, and I would rank them in order that me personally, I want to hear your thoughts on this, Ryan. Me personally, how I would rank Notre Dame's chances of getting them I'd mm-hmm. probably go Micah Bell is the one I'm most confident on. I'd probably go Christian Gray, number two, Micah Tease, three. And then with Calvin Simpson Hunt, I'd have him four just because I just don't know a lot about him at this yeah. point in time and he hasn't visited. So that would be – and the fact that I've said what I've said in the past and I still have Christian Gray, too, tells you about Micah Tease. Like, I love Micah Tease. I just – I have a hard time – with a kid from Oklahoma coming to Notre Dame. I hope I'm wrong on that, but I just – every time I start getting excited about it, I'm like, I don't know, man. Like, I just – I don't know. I, I have a hard time get with that. that one. I, I get that. If if I had to rank it, though, I would actually have Mike T's number one, to mm-hmm. be honest. I I think is and I, I felt the same way that you felt and do feel the fact that getting him out of Oklahoma because I thought that the Sooners were the number one team to beat. Mm-hmm. Now that I, it seems that they have moved past it, I'm just I, I don't know who the number one team is, but I felt Notre Dame was up there before even with Oklahoma in the picture. So I feel pretty solid about Mike Mike Tease. I, I think that obviously there's work to do. I'm not saying that he's gonna be Irish. I'm definitely not saying that at all. I'm just saying I, I like their chances maybe more than some people do. Number two for me would actually be Micah Bell. I think Micah Bell is mm-hmm. number two for me because I think that he's very intrigued by Notre Dame every time I've talked to him. And I, I think that I, he's a kid that hasn't been on the board that long. But the fact that he has this much interest without even yeah. getting back to Notre Dame is like, yeah. And when you hear that's, a corner, yeah, and when you hear a corner start talking a lot about about academics and the school, right. and most corners, when you hear like most guys, especially guys that run like him, you you just you start thinking you're going to hear one thing, and then when you listen to Micah talk or you hear him talk or you talk to him, it's like, okay, this kid has a little bit of a different priority list. I do want to say one thing about Micah Tease. I want to I want to before we move too far past him. The sure. concern I have, Ryan, is the fact that I do think he wants to play offense. I, and I think some team like USC or a school like that is going to come in from day one and be like, you're an offensive guy, offensive guy, offensive guy. And 
that's going to win the day. That that's my concern. Whereas Notre Dame is like, yeah, you'll get a shot to play offense and we'll give you a real shot, but and I just think that's ultimately what I think could end up making it a little tough for Notre Dame to close. I think they're in a great position. I just there's 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 being in a great position and then there's closing, right. and that's my concern. So I don't disagree with anything you you feel about Micah Tease. I just mm-hmm. you know doing this a long time and there's certain things that kind of come up that just are red flags for me based on what we've seen in the past. And when a kid's dead set on playing offense and you have to change to support offense, it opens up an opportunity for another similar school to come in and say, but we've wanted you on offense the entire time. And that's my concern. And I see him talking a lot about USC lately. I believe USC is recruiting him to play offense. Yep. You know, those, those are the kind of things that, you know, maybe Ohio state comes in and says, Hey, we love you on offense. If they miss on some guys, that's where my concern is right now with him I get that no no I I get that I I think with how he's phrased some things though I I I think that I'm just not as concerned yet is the fact that he says he wants a chance to play offense if it was phrased that he just wants to play offense then I would be like all right Notre Dame's not going to be in that at all because that's not the vision that they have for him and I think the fact that Mike has been on campus so often Mm -hmm. at Notre Dame like gives me a little more of a okay there's obvious interest there if you're going all the way from Oklahoma to Notre Dame sure. multiple times at this point. Right. And yeah, that's, but I, I would say Christian Gray would be third for me right now. Mm-hmm. I just don't feel good about that yeah. one, man. Neither I don't do know I. what it is. It's nothing tangible either. It's like he says all the right things about Notre Dame. He's been the mul- Notre Dame multiple times. They've been a perceived leader or to- near the top for him for a long time. I just, I don't feel great about it. I just don't. I, I, and it's like one of those things where I think a lot of things we're recruiting is like a pulse thing, right? Like it's nothing that you can tangibly say yes or no to. It's just like a feeling you get, right? So I don't feel great about that one. The new the new recruit that's on the board, though, he's an interesting player. I'll, I'll say that I, I spoke to his coach recently, and he said that he actually had talked to me before because he is that kid had interest in Notre Dame before Notre Dame even noticed who he, even found out who he was, right? So that one's moving quick. We should get some clarity soon whether there's going to be a visit here coming soon or it's going to be one of the what Notre Dame is going to be one of the visits he takes. So keep an eye out for that one. But I mean, as far as it's just too early to say anything on on that front right now you know right. like it's, it's just too i mean the the if he sets up a visit the next ago. week or two yeah if like right. he's exactly. hey i'm coming june 10th then i'm like, okay cool right but i did like the fact that even though they just recently offered him he, he explained to you his coach explained to you that notre dame's been talking to him for a while which is yeah smart. It's been several I, weeks i actually yeah. think that's a smart strat as opposed to just offering a kid when you first meet i kind of like the idea if a kid is committed somewhere else Mm-hmm. And he's open to talking to you. I think using the offer as a needle mover or a, a pusher is something you do. So you don't just offer him, then talk to him. The fact that they built that relationship up to then the offer comes and it it's it's more meaningful. It's part of the gamesmanship of recruiting that I thought was smart. By no, and they may have not planned it that way. That I mean, it just may have worked out that way. But I think that's smart. I, I think that's smart. Yeah. So I would say safety recruiting, if Notre Dame doesn't sign another safety, they're fine. They're going to have one of the Agreed. 10 best safety classes in the country. Right. Agreed. And I would argue maybe better. I don't know how many teams are going to have two top 200 guys at safety. One mm-hmm. being a top hundred guy, the other being a top 200 guy. I think a Don Schuler is more of a top 150 guy for me. Agreed. And I, I think on three, one of the services has him in like the one twenties or one thirties, or at least did. They may have dropped them recently. Cause you know, 
it's not a storyline. But, you know, for me, I, I you know, I, I just look at it and say, that's a really good safety haul. And if you can somehow pull off a miracle and get Caleb Downs, I mean, that's no one in the country will have a better safety haul than you at that point in time. Corner's yeah, the I, bigger I, question mark for me. Yeah, I mean, I feel like it's like the draft day movie real quick. And we wrote on a piece of paper, Caleb Downs, no matter what, right? Like, that's kind of like, I mean, because again, if you don't get Caleb Downs, you're in a great spot. Like you really are, man. Because Peyton Bowen, top 100 recruit, but top 50 upside. I mean, that kid has some special range on the back end. And I, that the best thing that has done in the safety recruiting so far for me is the fact that I'm not, I'm no longer feel uneasy about Peyton Bowen. I feel pretty solid about where Peyton Bowen and Notre Dame are at this point. Right. So the fact that you're getting that kid and then if it, if Adon Schuler is your second best safety in your class, you're in a good spot, man. <laughs> he's the number one safety third. for a lot of past Notre Dame classes. Exactly. I mean, he's a good player, man. Like, yeah. I, I could see him being a multi-year starter at Notre Dame, just being a yes. good football player. Like, that's just what I see from him. Yeah. I'm telling he's Jalen Elliott, man. He's a bigger version of Jalen Elliott with action and actual defensive background. Because remember, Jalen Elliott didn't play defense in high school. He was a quarterback. Yeah. And so he had to learn the position. Don's going to show up with already the communication, the instincts, the you know route recognition, all that stuff. He's already going to have that when he shows up. And 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 so I, yeah, I, for me with Peyton Bowen, I'm, I'll agree with you until he makes another visit. If he makes another visit, then I'm right back to where I was before. But he hasn't made any visits since he went to Notre Dame, and as of right now, I don't believe he has any official scheduled anywhere other than Notre Dame. So if that stays true, I'll agree with you. But until then, I mean, just that one's always going to make me a little bit, little bit nervous. It's fair, understandably so. But corner, corner to me, the thing I'll say this about corner recruiting: the thing I like is they're recruiting guys that can run. Like Micah Bell's got a lot to learn about playing cornerback, but you know what he can do? Run. He's one of the fastest players in the country, regardless of position. I mean, he sure I mean, his track speed numbers this spring have been just insane. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's running 10 fours, like he's run multiple 10 fours this spring. That's I mean, just to put it in perspective. Now, this was as a sophomore, right? Chris Tyree never ran the hundred past his sophomore year. He would focus on indoor after that. Chris Tyree ran a 10-6-6 as a sophomore. That's a, around the same times that Micah Bell ran as a sophomore. He had a couple mm-hmm. ones that were a little faster than Chris Tyrese as a sophomore. He actually ran a 10-4-6 last year. But he ran a 10-3, wind-aided 10-3 last year. This year he's won multiple 10-4s, right? So you're talking about a guy that has Chris Tyree-type speed, if not a touch better in the long speed. We're talking track speed. Sure. He plays fast. But he is a very fluid athlete. Like he's got quick agility, balance, you know, all that stuff. He's not just fast. Kid's got a lot of talent. And you look, is he a great corner right now? No. But he's got all the tools you want to grow into one if you have a coach that can coach those guys up. And the one thing that I think you and I would agree on is there's no doubt that Notre Dame has a guy that can coach kids up. Yes. The question is, can he land elite talent? That's the he's done a much better job than than the previous coaches have at corner. But mm-hmm. can he get the elite elite talent guys? That remains to be seen. But at the end of the day, as long as you're getting guys with elite upside, that's that's what matters. Absolutely. And that's why I guy I love a guy like you know Benjamin Watson or Benjamin Morrison from last year. You know Jaden Mickey. Those are good football players. Those are Troy Pride, Ju- Julian Love type guys. So as long as they can, as long as they can get there, then. Uh, 
then I think they're, I think they'll be, they'll be in good shape. Yeah. Yeah. yeah no, they, um, man, Micah Bell's tape. If anybody wants just a good time, go watch Micah Bell's highlight tape at running back, man. The dude can fly. Yeah. It's fantastic to watch. Yeah. And that's 10, four, those 10 fours consistent are as a junior, by the way, mm-hmm. he could run even faster. Yeah. <laughs> like this yeah. kid could be a 10, two, 10, three type of kid, which is right. flying, flying. Yep. So get some more questions here. That was a, a good one here. Uh, let's see. Charles Lynch says with 2022 linebacker being elite and 2023 D line class being elite, the same uh, being, being the same, why don't we really see multiple position groups being elite in the same class? Well, I mean, not everyone, I would say that Notre Dame has had multiple elite position groups in the same class. I, I think that last year, Notre Dame's tight end group was elite. I think Notre Dame's offensive line class, I don't know if I'd call it elite, but it was really, really good. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the reality is, though, is that that's where Notre Dame's got to get to, Charles. I mean, I mean, your, your, your question is, is legitimate. I, I would say you're not always going to be elite everywhere every year. I mean, even Bam is that way. There's years, ah, it's a good linebacker class, not great. But you need to start doing it more and more and more. I, I would say I think, I, think, I think we're underrating last year's D-line class a little bit, though. I thought Notre Dame got two top 100 caliber guys in the D-line last year. Tyson Ford's a good one. Aiden Gobira's really, really high ceiling. And then this year, I think we're, we're overlooking the linebacker class. It's like because Drake Bowen's like he's been so committed so long that we almost just take him for granted. That's a t- they have a top 50 linebacker in this year's class. Yeah. Preston Zinter's a four-star recruit, and they're in on Jaden Osbury, Samuel Mpemba, Darian Gallette. I mean, they're in on some big-time players. You know, somebody asked, you know, why Notre Dame isn't recruiting. I'm trying to uh, – the Michael Harris or, uh, Harrison uh, – what's his name? Pi- I'm trying Pilot? To, yeah, Pilot from Texas. And I'm like, well, because he's, he's listed as a safety, but he's probably more of a rover type, and there's just better players on the board right now and, and mm-hmm. so you know I, I think that's they're, they're trying to get there charles i mean i, I think the question is fair I, I just think i don't know if it has to be elite every year last year's d-line class was not elite they came up a guy short inside on that in my opinion and maybe if they'd have got caleb Artis, we could have called it that but but it was really good at least and yeah the goal is going to be to be elite everywhere it's just it's just not always going to happen but as long as you're kind of being one elite and, and good in the other kind of every year you can rotate. And I think that that'll get Notre Dame where they need to be, in my opinion. Yep. Byron Davis, can we get a quick idea of the typical coach visits recruit this week looks like? Do they go to the school and see the kids and the coaches? Do they bring lunch swag pose <laughs> for picks with everyone? Uh, they don't bring lunch. They don't bring swag. They do a lot of posing for picks. It's going to be different every time be honest with you, Byron. And, and that's a very good question. Sometimes it's, especially in the earlier visits, it's okay. I'm going, I'm going to get transcripts. I'm going to come home with this. I'm going to, I'm going to accomplish, you know, I want I need to do some other things. Sometimes it's, Hey, I'm there to talk to the coach. I'm there to talk to the kid, you know, bump into the kid when you can't talk to him, talk to him and sit down and, and have those conversations when you are, and as you really start to close on a kid, or if there's uncertainty on a kid, sometimes you're going to go on these visits. Like, I want to talk to a principal. I want to talk to a teacher. I want to talk to some people. I've heard stories about how a coach would be on a visit and happen to bump into a janitor. I've heard this story, true story. And a coach will say, hey, like, hey, do you know so-and-so? And if the janitor's like, no, I don't know who it is. Okay, no big deal. You keep walking. But if the guy knows him, oh, yeah, yeah, I know that kid. Man, he's a great, great football player. But man, he's a really nice kid, you know, or – and he treats people. I mean, you start to learn more about a kid from people like that who aren't necessarily agenda driven, right? The, the head coach is going to tell you certain things and 
you know, you want to talk to some people like, okay, he didn't, he didn't have a good grade in this one class. So it'd be nice to bump into his teacher and talk to her. And then you come to find out, you know, yeah, he slacked off or he didn't take it seriously or whatever. Or you say, Hey, look, you know, this, this subject's not his thing, or he was sick for, you know, he worked hard. He tried, we got, he got a tutor and you say, okay, this kid's got the work ethic to be there. And now we know if he comes to Notre Dame, we got to make sure that if he takes that subject class, we got to make sure we've got him prepared to have the help for him in that class because we now know that's it. So you learn all these things about a kid that I think make these visits super important. But it's always going to be different every time. It's not always just go talk to the kid, sit down and talk football. Sometimes it's the coach. It's There's all types of different ob- objectives when you have these kind of visits for different kids. Freddie CO3, how big, number-wise, of a class do you expect them to sign? What is the most they can sign? Well, the the most they can sign is how many early enrollees did they have? Uh, 13, had, I think. Yeah, so something like that. Technically, by rule, they could go over 30 by rule because you can only sign 25 kids in the class, right? But the way the rule works, an early enrollee is a kid – you can put a kid towards – the last year's class. So the way that, you know, so you can always kind of go over, you can't always go over every year because eventually you're going to get to where you can't, you know, finagle those numbers as much, but they can go past 25. I don't think that they will. That's not the plan right now. The plan is to get to around 25. Now, if you're at 25 and Caleb Downs wants to come, Hey, we actually got to 26, right? What do you know? (laughs) Right. But for the most part, 25 is going to be the target number. Uh, Joe, Joe Billick says, Brian, did you punch that hole in the wall? It's, I'd like to say yes, and you know, <laughs> but no. About a year ago, we had a crack in our foundation, and, and it, we had some flooding in our basement. And then last summer, I went on a, on a home to see my family. And, of course, it happens every time. Whenever I go out of town, something happens in my house. Usually it's our dog Sadie kills something in the backyard. My poor wife has to deal with it since I'm not home, right? That's usually like the tragic thing that's happened. Like one time my wife uh, goes outside and Sadie, you've seen Sadie, right? She's a little dog. You've met her, Ryan. She's got three legs. She's missing a leg, but she's a hunter. I mean, she she was a rescue, but like they got her off the streets, right? I mean, and so she was fending for herself and she just kind of walks up, you know, and, and sits down and just drops a, a mole right on Angela's foot. And like, look what I did. You know, she's killed some rabbits and squirrels and which is sad, but uh, no, Hey, you know, that's her, that's her territory. She did something like that. Well, last year we had this giant flood in our basement. And so this kind of getting, dealing with all that, getting that take care of is it's kind of, this is the week. So they came and they, they had, when they fixed the foundation, they had to cut off the drywall off the wall and it never got put back. And then the flooding got fixed and we've been dealing with, you know, getting them here and, you know, all the insurance stuff and all that stuff. So it's taken a while, but they're coming this week to fix all that. So I'd like to say that, you know, I got mad and, you know, righteously punched a wall or whatever the case may be, but no, uh, it was, it was that kind of stuff. So we are having them paint a different color. So it's not going to be that, that weird yellow anymore. It's going to be more of a, more of a gray, more like, more like this color down here a little bit. So no, I did not. (laughs) Joe Weber, Brian, do you think Trevor Lauk should get an offer? Not right now, Joe. I like Trevor. He's a big, strong kid. I had made the case, Ryan, I, was it you and I that talked about this? I think so. I actually like Trevor Lauk better than Austin Sarabeld. I did. Interesting. 
Interesting. Yeah, uh, because I just I thought he had a little bit more explosiveness than now. Austin bends a little bit better than Trevor, but I thought off the line I thought Trevor had more explosiveness. However, with he, I don't grade him higher than the five that we talked about earlier. I don't grade him higher than Elijah Page, Sullivan Absher, and certainly not higher than than you know and I, Pendleton. I think the re, I'd go with Pendleton because I think Sam is a little bit of a better athlete. But if they would have missed on Sam Pendleton, I'd have, I'd have taken Trevor Lauk. I would have I would have gone after Trevor Lauk because he's a good football player and he's an in-state kid. But they're in on some dudes that are just flat out elite caliber guys. I mean, Jagus Jagus Jagasaw. Yeah, Jagasaw. No question yourself. Is, you had it. I know. Jagasaw's a top fifty to seventy-five guy. Monroe Freeling, in my opinion, is a top fifty guy. Right? I believe you have him as a top fifty guy as well. Absolutely. I have Samson Oklahoma as a five-star. I have uh, Elijah Page as a top 250 guy with a five-star ceiling. I have Sullen Absher as a top 150 player that has a top 50 type of ceiling. So I, I, and I, I think Trevor Lauk is a guy that right now at grade is about like a three-and-a-half star. He's like that top three to 350 kind of guy, but he's got a four-star ceiling. He's a good football player. And in, in, in other years, I, like I'd have taken him over Pat Coogan a couple years ago. And Pat's a nice player and all that, but I, I'd take Trevor Lauk over him. There's, you know, there's some guys that they've taken in recent years that I would take Trevor Lauken. It just so happens that this year they're just in on some really elite talent that I just don't think Trevor is quite there yet. Now, if they missed on a couple of these guys, and that's the other thing is in most years, teams will recruit like the five Notre Dame's looking, the six that Notre Dame is looking at right now, right? The five we talked about earlier plus Oklahoma. Most teams are like, well, maybe we'll get three of those and then we go get a Trevor Lauk. But when you look at it, Notre Dame's got – Pretty good shape with four of them and a mm-hmm. decent shot at a fifth. And that's why you don't move to him. But if they decided to go after Trevor Lauk, I'd have no problem with that. I think he's a big, strong, physical kid, could be a really good mover guard. If a team like Indiana or Purdue or somebody gets that kid, that's going to be a steal because he's a good football player. Just just one of those weird years where Notre Dame is just on – I mean, I guess we shouldn't say weird. It's what you expect when Harry Heastan got hired, but they're on some big guys. Thought Anything to add to that, Ryan? No, I actually did watch Locke a, a few, maybe like three or four weeks ago. I, I agree with you. I, I think that he's pretty comparable to Saraveld. Like they're both big, physically imposing type of dudes, right? Like not the most cat quick guys of all time. But I mean, like you said, Notre Dame has a chance to put together an elite offense flying class. Like this has potential to be very, very good. So it's not any disrespect to Trevor. He's a good football player. And like you said, he's probably going to be landed somewhere that's just a really good, you know, really big kind of fit for him as far as getting a little bit of a, I guess a diamond, if you want to call him that a sleeper, I, I don't know what you would kind of, you know, embrace him as, but I think that Notre Dame is just in a really, really good spot. I mean, we highlighted it, right? Like the fact that you have a chance of getting a Charles Jagasaw, <laughs> Monroe Freeling, Sullivan, Hampshire, Sam Pendleton in one class, right. not in also throwing an Elijah page potentially as well. I mean, that tells you all you need to know. Just unfortunately, Trevor's just, the victim of numbers like there's just really good numbers and really high caliber players on the board right now yeah and if something happens to where they don't get who they think and they take him you're not going to hear a complaint from me he's a good football player sure matthew good says why aren't we recruiting we notre dame recruiting the number one player in massachusetts they are they are they are (laughs) he just he's not that interested in notre dame right now trust me they have not given up on Samson Oklahoma, but they're also not idiots who are going to look at him and be like, well, he doesn't really talk to us a ton and he 
won't just refuses to set up a visit to come here or not refuses, but just shows no interest in it. They wisely, moved, yeah, they yeah. wisely moved on, not moved on to other guys, but they're also recruiting other players. But trust me, they're still recruiting. If Samson Oklahoma called tomorrow, say, hey, you know what? I'm ready to commit to a visit. <laughs> they would flat out schedule it and, and be all about it. And then they're also recruiting the number two, three, and in my opinion, four players in the state of Massachusetts who are all four-star players, which is absolutely insane. Absolutely. It is insane how much of a priority the state of Massachusetts has become this cycle. Just and it's incredible. justified. I mean, there's yeah. some – like normally the state of Massachusetts has a lot of – this is what a lot of people don't realize. Massachusetts actually produces a lot of college football players. Mm-hmm. They're just not Division One Power 5 guys. But – you go sure. look at like Patriot League, Patriot League and Ivy League and, you know, a lot of those like one double A, you know, Villanova's, the Rhode Island's, the Maine's. There's going to be a lot of kids from Massachusetts. There's an entire Division Three league made up of Massachusetts schools. And I coached against one when, when we were in the playoffs one year. And so that's the type of talent they normally produce. Mm-hmm. It's just this year, for whatever reason, they're just, I mean, they're producing a lot of really good football players. Right. Freddie C at 03. Who is the one recruit in the past that you would have absolutely loved to sign with Notre Dame? I mean, it can't be Randy Moss and it can't be Allen Iverson. And I say Allen Iverson because did you see the thing he did without with Dan Patrick the other day? No, I didn't. He did an interview with Dan Patrick the other day and he said if you if you didn't get in trouble for bowl because he had talked about had he not gotten in trouble for bowling, there was a lot of talk that Allen Iverson, better known as Bubba Chuck to people from Virginia, was gonna play football in college. Because he was an insanely good football player. Okay. And they asked him, if you if you don't get in the bar fight, where would you have gone? And he said, I wanted to play at Notre Dame. Wow. Could you imagine Allen Iverson running the triple option? He might have been a corner. It could have been a receiver. But could you imagine him running the triple option and throwing to Randy Moss? <laughs> he, he had one of the most insane high school highlight tapes I've ever seen, man. Just nuts. nuts. I mean, him playing like an all-state quarterback and also has like nine interceptions on defense yeah. or some crazy number. Like, yeah, incredible. Yeah, he was he was special. But, yeah, he just came out and said, yeah, I wanted to play at Notre Dame, which just tells you everything you needed to know about what Notre Dame was at that time. We've tried to explain this to the younger, younger audience who didn't grow up in that era. Uh, what you have to understand is – Notre Dame was a Bama, a Georgia, a Clemson, and Ohio State now, back then. It was mm-hmm. Notre Dame and Miami. That was Bama-Clemson, what it's been for five years. Or on the recruiting trail, Bama-Georgia, Bama-Ohio State, whatever. That's what Notre Dame was. They were the program. I mean, you got Tupac you know, in rap videos with Notre Dame stuff on, right? I mean, they were that program. Right. And, you know, and it just shows when, like, you know, Randy Moss wants to, you know, signs with them and – Allen Iverson wanted to go there. It was insane. But uh, I would say if other than those two. Mine's easy. Yeah, who's Mine's that? Mine's easy. Uh, he's one of my favorite football players of all time. He might be number one. I'm a big Luke Keekley fan. I would have loved oh, them God. to have Luke Keekley. Yeah. Dude, he, Ryan, he would he wanted to come to Notre Dame. You know what I, I know. Mean, right? I know. I've told I you know. that story, correct? Yep. John yep. Tanuta said he wasn't athletic enough for his defense. True story. True story. Cause I, I, so like, I don't often, I rare, I can't, it's been years since I've talked, said to Notre Dame, you need to recruit this kid. It's not my job, right? It's just, that's not my job. But there are times when I had done that. Not many. Luke Keekley was one. And the mm-hmm. person I was working for at the time knew some people in Notre Dame. I said, you've got to have them watch this kid. You've got to have them recruit this kid and find out what's going on. And the message we got back about a week later was, yeah, Tanuta's familiar with him. He just doesn't think he's athletic enough. They're going to recruit Dan Fox instead. 
That sounds like a Georgia. He played safety in high school. Yeah. 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 So, and he would have been in the same class with Manti. Could you imagine Manti and Luke Keekley playing side by side at Notre Dame? Um, I mean, because I mean, I, I mean, yes, it would have been because they still played a three four at that point, right? Yeah. So, I mean, so he started then, in Dan Fox's position. Yeah, so he would have been the will, right? Mm-hmm. Playing in pursuit a little more. Yep. Yeah, 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 yeah. pretty good. <laughs> and it's not like getting Keekley would have scared off Manti because he right. wasn't a highly ranked recruit. He was like I mean, a three Dan star, Fox right? Was, I believe Dan Fox is actually ranked higher than That's Luke Keekley. I'm gonna have to look that up. But yeah, he was not considered a, a big time recruit back then, which is you know again just kind of shows you know that that you, you have to you, you can't just like worship these recruiting services and 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 yeah just and I thought they back then they even took it even more serious yeah Dan Fox was the number four hundred twelve player in the country and Luke Keekley was the number five hundred seventy six player in the country so there were three mm-hmm. kids in that class that I pushed I pushed their name to recruit and. Yeah. Like not not like with them, but just publicly and challenge them. It was Zach Martin, Tyler Eifert, and Luke Keekley. And the funny thing is, is they they didn't want any of them. No name staff. Here, here, true story. So Keekley we know about, and uh, Tyler Eifert. They took Jake Golick in that class, and Tyler Eifert. They made him come to camp. They weren't going to offer him because he was you know wasn't a real big kid. He was tall and skinny, and he just dominated the camp. And then they offered him because of the camp. Had he not shown up to camp that summer, he doesn't sign with Notre Dame. Then the third was Zach Martin. So they liked Zach Martin, but Chris Watt was like the bigger recruit for them. And I remember being told by a guy that I knew and trusted that like Zach Martin was a guy that Iowa was obsessed with. They wanted him big time. Michigan loved him. Well, Notre Dame wanted Michael Schofield. That was their guy. They were going to take Michael Schofield over Zach Martin. And I hammered him for it. Well, once they realized that Michael Schofield was kind of trending away from them, that's when they ramped up. They had offered Zach Martin, but that's when they really ramped up the recruitment of Zach Martin. Ended up getting him in the class, and it worked out. But, yeah, they were – I think it was Frank Verducci, I think was the O-line coach at the time. But they initially they were not pushing for Zach Martin. Think about that. They weren't. They didn't push for Luke Keekley. They weren't pushing for Tyler Eifert until he, he made them push him because he was so dominant at camp, and they didn't yeah. initially push for Zach Martin. You want to and know why they, Notre Dame hasn't won? It's crap like that. It's stuff like that. They also didn't – they didn't push at all for, like, A.J. Dillon, right, even though he has nope. the family ties to nope. him? Yeah. Nope. Autry Denson told him he's a linebacker. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Now, now in, in Notre Dame's defense, when that yeah. was found out, Mike Denbrock was pissed. Like, Because sure. he liked him, but Autry Denson told him he wasn't, he wasn't a running back. Yeah. Yep. And flash forward at, at, the years, camp, at the camp yeah. where the kids showed up and won the fastest man competition of all the running backs on campus. Smoked them, by the way. I was about to say, he ran like four, five, one yes. at 240 something pounds at the combine. Like, it wasn't even yeah. close. He smoked like CJ Holmes was on campus that day, smoked them. And he told him he was a linebacker. And now Denbrock tried to swell, but in Denbrock's a great recruiter, coach, and a great guy, great recruiter. But he couldn't fix it once that was because he was really and that's what happened to Michigan. Michigan started talking about like, well, you know, maybe you're a linebacker. And he's like, you know, gave him the middle finger. Not really. But, you know, and went to B.C. because the kid was dead set on playing running back and good on him for doing that because he's ended up being a heck of a heck of a college football. Player. Second second round pick as a yeah. running back. Too. Yeah. Leading yeah. rusher for the Green Bay Packers quietly yeah. last year as a second yeah. year player. So, yeah. Yep. 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 Patrick Barnes, the Super Chat. Thanks for another great podcast while I work, and thank you for the recruiting updates. You are welcome. Jeff Fluke has a bit of a team question here, Ryan. 
Mm-hmm. Do you think Isaiah Foskey and Justin Adamiola could have a disruptive season like the two defensive ends from Michigan last year? I, I think what I'm going to let, let yeah. me answer first while you think about, cause I can see it marinate. No, simply from the standpoint of Jason's not going to get the number of snaps that David Ajabo got last year. That's, that's mm-hmm. going to be the problem. Yeah. And the other thing is I think there was more numbers for them to have because Michigan wasn't as good up the middle as Notre Dame was going to be. So they got all the sacks, right? And I think at Notre Dame, they're going to be spread out a little bit more. But it's going to be hard for Justin to match what Ajabo did last year just because of opportunity. He's not going to get as many reps at times. He's going to be rotating in with Isaiah Foskey. And the times that they're on the field together is mostly going to be in third down packages or in a couple games against teams like maybe a USC where they're they're going to have more of a, a, a fast package where maybe they put him in him and Isaiah on the field together and have Jason and Riley inside against a team that's a little, you know, and then with, with, you know, with Howard Cross and Jacob Lacey rotating in and rotating in inside, but that's not going to be their base defense. So I think that's the reason I would say no, simply because Jason's just not going to, or Justin's not going to get the number of opportunities that, that David Ajabo had. Having said that, David Ajabo had 11 sacks last year. I've had people tell me, don't be shocked if Justin Adam Miller gets close to 10 sacks next year. That's what I was going to say because I, I think the production could almost match, right? Like that, but the impact, I, th- I mean, I mean, let's be honest, right? Like this is the honesty to it. Foskey could be a more disruptive player if he hits the ceiling than Aiden Hutchinson was last year. I don't think that that's a stretch at all. The fact of the matter is, though, is J- is just Adam Olola going to put fear in your heart like a David Ajabo would? just because David Ajabo is such a freaking nature athlete, right? Like you're going to look at that kid and be like, oh man, now we we have to single block that guy all day. Justin's a good player. And I, I have said on the show, I think he could have a sneaky sack production type of season. Like you said, 10 sacks. I could see like seven to nine sacks this year. Like I think he's going to be a good football player for Notre Dame. I just think when we're talking about the caliber of athletes there of Ajabo versus him, like that's just where the difference comes a little bit. But I think the impact could be similarly. Like if you told me that he has eight to nine sacks and Foskey has 12 13 and we're talking about you know 10 plus on average between the two of them i could get there with that but i I just don't think the impact's quite the same fair very fair rob lobo one two three do you guys believe lincoln riley left oklahoma in a worse position than when he took it over i think he's a good coach but not one that will win titles at usc i would say yes but it's it's a it's a double yes because not only is Oklahoma not as strong, I mean, they were a playoff team the year before he took over. I mean, you know, now he was the OC and all that, but he inherited Baker Mayfield and all those yeah. guys, right? Let, let, let's not act like Bob Stoops put him in a terrible spot. Exactly. Right? Like, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Bob Stoops had, had a, now he was the OC on that team, but, you know, sure. Bob Stoops was a darn good football coach. He had, he won a national title at the, at this level, unlike, you know, somebody else that we won't, won't talk about. But uh, they, they he inherited a great situation. He they're not only their roster's not as good right now as it was four years ago. It's not. They they they've got they don't have the depth at receiver. Their offensive line's not as good as it was, kind of when he took over. Their defense isn't as good as they were early. They're, they don't recruit that position as well. And then you add the fact that he took the best players that they had with him to USC. He definitely left Oklahoma in a worse situation than he found it. There's no question about it. Now, are they in a terrible situation? No, they still have a lot of talent on that team. 
Right. And and but no, Lincoln Riley to me is is one of the biggest enigmas because I don't know how good he really is as head coach. Great offensive mind. There's no doubt about that. But can he build a team? We don't know the answer to that because he's never done it. I he's you know because like you said, Ryan, he's he walked into a great situation with a coach who had built a culture that had, I mean he just had to don't screw up what Bob Stoops did, right? Yeah. That that was the goal. USC, you're trying to turn around a, a program that was really just ridiculous, and you're doing it with a bunch of mercenaries. I right. I I don't I don't I don't know. I'm not I, I'm not sold on that. I think of him similarly to how I think of Ryan Day right now. I think mm-hmm. that they're both really good offensive minds, but until I like, can they develop a roster and fill out a coaching staff where you're like, yes, they can win a championship. Like that's what I want to see with Lincoln. And yes, he left them in a worse situation in my opinion, because I think they'll be okay long-term because I think the Venables is going to do a solid enough job to at least keep it a float type of thing. But the fact of the matter is also in this transfer portal era, I mean, he left and a lot of guys left too, you know what I mean? So it's, right. I mean, yeah, it's, it's in a way worse spot because there's a lot of talent that had that left this off season just because of his exit. So yeah, it's in a worse spot. It, do I think it's debilitating where they will be an awful football team? No, not to that degree because I was, you know, I, I think that they'll be okay. I think it'll be okay long-term, but it's definitely worse than when they first got it. I mean, they were, Bob Stoops had them consistently winning right around 10 plus games. Like they were a, a good team under Bob Stoops. They weren't bad. It's just, you know, now I don't know what to expect from Oklahoma this year. Like, I really don't. It's going to be interesting to watch. I'll say this. I like the staff that 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 he's put together there. I do. I think Brent Venables did a nice job rebounding and putting together a good – I thought the Jeff Levy hire – I didn't know a ton about him at the time. Yeah, I kind of yeah. relied on you and John Garcia really liked that hire. I didn't know a lot about him. As I've studied Ole Miss film and learned more about him, I think that was a great hire. I think he's put together some good recruiters, some good coaches, and then keeping bed and ball there was huge, mm-hmm. huge because he's one of the best O line coaches in the business, you know. And so I, I thought he put together a really good staff. I actually won't be shocked if, in pretty quick order, Oklahoma's not a better team under Brent Venables than they were under Lincoln Riley. They won't be as good offensively. They're going to be a better team. And I say as good offensively, maybe they only score thirty nine points a game as opposed to 45, but it's because you're sacrificing that to drop 12 points off your scoring average on defense. Right. And that's, that's what I think. So I, you know, I, I was, I, when I, they hired Brent Venables, I, I didn't love that hire. Cause I, I only know the Brent Venables is the nut job on the sideline that has to have a guy freaking pulling him off the field. So he doesn't get flagged all the time. Right? Yeah. Like, how's he going to be as a head coach? Well, you start hearing things and you talk to people and you're like, yeah, he understands he can't be like that as the head coach. He understands that, which right, I, good. I respect that. I think Oklahoma being good is good for college football. I, I'll say that. Agreed. I think USC being Agreed. good is good for college football. Miami, I, I think Miami is State. That Penn State, yeah. Michigan. I mean, I, I dislike some of those schools, but it's good for college football. If Miami and Florida State get back in, in Florida, if just two of them can get back to being powerhouses, that's good for Notre Dame and good for college football because who are they going to take players from? Alabama. Georgia, mm-hmm. LSU, that's who Ohio State, that's who they're going to take players from. And and I think that's good for the game. I absolutely think that's good for the game. And then, you know, Bama can buy them all and when they're sophomores. <laughs> so uh <laughs> there you go. Uh Jeff Fluke, is having Braylon James committed helping with Jaden Greathouse? Do they know each other? Yes, they do know each other. They they have been in conversation from everything that we have heard. I think that that has helped, obviously, in this recruitment. I think Chancey Stuckey obviously has 
a large part to do with it. His ties to, to Jaden when he was at Baylor, obviously. But yes, they do know each other. I think it's going to help tremendously. There's no mm-hmm. doubt about it. And they communicate regularly from what I understand. Yes. So, yes. Now, what you have to understand is a lot of these kids will say, hey, man, come join me. But more often than not, kids will will tell kids about why they picked a school, but they don't push. Because most of these kids understand, like, I had to do what's best for me. You got to do what's best for you. But here's why I think their name is a great school. Yep. And so, I, I you know, I'm, I'm sure those conversations have been had. John Rich asks, of the current commits and better than 50-50 guys, who do you think has the greatest upside as a return guy? We're gonna we're not gonna do the fair catch thing because that's that's BK PTSD right there. Okay, we're not we're not we're not gonna be there now. Who has the greatest upside as a return guy? Let's start with the commits and then the better 50-50 prospects because I think this is a great great. I know who it is for kick return of the better than 50-50 prospects. Yeah, um, for punt return, right? That's what we're doing. We're doing punt right. return. So I'll just, I'll just, just as return guy. Yeah, let's right? do both. So. Let's do okay. both because they're not always the same, right? Like, yes. I don't. I wouldn't have Chris Tyree back there returning punts, but I'm definitely having him returning kickoffs. Agree. Agree. Of the current players, for me, it's it's kind of easy. It's 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 Peyton Bowen. That's my punt. Yes. Return. I think he's both for me. Yeah. <laughs> I think he's kick and punt. I think. Yeah, um, yeah, I got to be careful Braylon, here because I got to James. I got to not James shout maybe? out. Yeah, I got to not shout out a silent committed kid. <laughs> I was getting ready to say one. Uh, that wouldn't have been good. Um. Of the committed kids, yeah, but I don't know if I have Braylon. I don't want a 6'3 guy running down there on kick returns and getting his legs chopped out from underneath him. Great for high school, but not in college. I, I, I'd, yeah, I'd probably put Peyton back as both. Yes, uh, yeah, I agree. I'd probably put Peyton back, Peyton back as I, both. There's no. I, I, have an, I have an easy one for the uncommitted guys for me. Well, for kick return, who, who? Yeah, that, kick return, yes. Punt return, I. There's a couple. There's a couple guys. Gallag- Gallag- Gallagher's, Gallagher's one. Return. Yeah, yeah, Gallag- the committed guys. Return. Gallagher's one that I like back there. Um, you know, there's, there's a couple, Caleb Downs is a guy that could maybe be a punt returner, like, like Brandon Joseph, if, if he ends up picking Notre Dame, but again, he's not a better than 50, 50 guy. He's just a guy that popped in my head, but yeah, Peyton Bowen's definitely one. Rodney Gallagher be the other. Yeah. Those are, those are the two main ones for me. Yeah. Those are two main ones for me. I I could see Jaden Greathouse being a punt returner. If you are a team that's going to do a lot of fair catching. (laughs) <laughs> and I, and I, great I'm, hands, I'm being serious hands. now. Like, let's say you're playing a team because he's great hands, but he's a bigger kid that can maybe make that. I mean, it's kind of like when, when remember late in 2011 when they put Michael Floyd back there to return punts a few times. They remember he had that long return against Florida State. Only in that regard, uh, just to kind of honor the question that David asked, as I could see, Dave, I could see Jaden Greathouse being that guy. But I, I think Micah Bell is a punt returner, and then Peyton Bowen is a or Micah Bell as the kick returner and then Peyton Bowen and Rodney Gallagher battling it out for the punt return job. I can see, I can see Ronan Hannafin being a pretty solid punt returner too, to be honest. Yeah. He's got really nice feet. He's got really nice feet and he's strong. He's a lot stronger than people realize that he's, he's, he is the, what's, you know, what's funny. If Mm -hmm. he picks Notre Dame and and they get the class that I think he's going to be their lowest ranked recruit, which first of all is absurd because he's, he would not be the lowest kid on their, on the board if that, at that time. But think about that. Mm -hmm. That's an, it's insane. And I think right now only Rivals has him as a four-star, which, again, is just stupid. Yeah, because, you know, Alabama, Ohio State, Clemson, Notre Dame, USC, and Oklahoma all are just flocking to Massachusetts to recruit a three-star kid, right? Yeah. Yep. Sure. Okay. I, I think I think, I think think Micah Tease would be a good punt returner, too. I'm just starting to think through, through Micah my Micah Tease, yeah, he'd be a good punt returner. Yeah, he would. Yeah, but see, you, you consider him more better than a 50-50 guy. I just – 
I'm just true. And part um, of it is too, Ryan, is maybe this is my BKPTSD, but I'm just like they can't hit on all these guys, can they? That's true. Right? I, I like get that. You know, that. some something's gonna have to go that we think is gonna go well is gonna turn out to not be as good as we think. I just but maybe that's my BK BKPTSD. It, no, it's it's fair, man. It is fair to think that way. It really is. And I also follow trends. Like some of these guys, like I look at them, like yeah, that's a kid that you know, that's a kid they should have got in the past. That, but Micah T's, I yeah, I just we'll see. I hope I'm wrong. I really hope I'm wrong because he's a really good football player, and he, I think he'd be a good fit at Notre Dame. I think that's the thing too that you get to is from everything I've heard from you and, and other people have talked to him, he, he'd, he'd be a great fit at Notre Dame as a young man. Just he's got to be convinced of that. Yep. Tyler Bed Bedwell talking about Ronan Hannafin. That's great timing. Says I want Ronan real bad. That kid has so much potential. I mean, at, he's a legitimate like starting caliber kid at three positions, right? I was going to say that he has legitimate potential at three different positions. That's yeah. exactly what I was going to say. Yeah. Yep. Great minds think alike. Receiver. I mean, and, and we could get real technical and like XW and and make it more than three, but I'm not going to be that guy. Rover and potentially safety depending on how his frame fills out. I mean, I don't think people realize how fast he is. I think that's the that's the misconception. And and he's deceptively fast, which you know what that means. You know what that's code for. Um, you know, but uh, uh, he's a really good athlete. It's, it's really like uh, athlete. it's like the quarterback that's sneaky athletic, right? Yeah, right. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> David, David Solomon says, uh, is it too early to be concerned that Jalen Sneed doesn't look like he's gaining weight? He looked awfully thin out there in the spring game. A cu- couple comments I, I do want to make on that, first of all, is he has gained weight, about 5 to 10 pounds. Uh, his coach put a picture of him like a year ago when he was at at uh, in in Myrtle Beach or not Myrtle Beach but Rock Island, and then a picture of him now, and he's clearly filling out. The problem is No Name's linebackers are freaking huge. True. I mean, in his freshman class is huge. I mean, those guys are super big and long. And you know, when you're standing next to to Josh Burnham at six four two thirty, guess what? You're not going to look real big when you're six one two ten. Number one. Number two, he's about 10 pounds heavier than what Jeremiah Wusukoromola was as a freshman. And number three, I think the fact that he plays Rover, Ryan, there, he doesn't need to get a lot bigger. And again, he's playing Rover. And now if he has to move inside, yeah, he'll need to be bigger than 205 pounds, right? 205, 210 pounds. But as a Rover, I, I mean, I think his weight's perfect. I think that's a position that ideally they'd like him to, to be able to fit at. Thoughts on that one? Yeah, I'm not overly concerned about it at the moment because, like you said, the rover position, I mean, you need to have a guy that's kind of half safety, half linebacker, right? So I don't want a hulking guy playing out there anyway. I mean, if, you're, if your thought process was, though, David, and this is fair, if that you think that Jalen Sneed is a preferred will linebacker long term, then, like, yeah, I get it then that you would be a little concerned in that area. But for what he's doing right now, for the age that he is doing what he does right now, I'm not worried about his weight right now. If he's 210 pounds, like, cool i mean you that's the position he's going to play so yeah and and i also to the question is there a time when i would get concerned about it probably a year from now if he if he hasn't gained anything at all maybe right but i i mean i i don't think he needs to gain a ton but but i think he's going to be fine in that regard just kind of work down here see if i can find some more questions here before we hop out of this show here we go. Here's a good one, Ryan. Mm-hmm. From Michael Johnson. My guy, I haven't seen you in a while, Michael. Good to see you back in the show. Guys, in your opinion, what was Brian Kelly's best recruiting class, and how do they compare with Marcus Freeman so far? 
I think 2013 is clearly the best recruiting class, right? I mean, that was the Malik Zaire, Greg Bryant, Torian Folston, you had Will Fuller, Corey Robinson, to Torrey Hunter Jr., Mike Hireman, Tyler Luatua on the offensive uh, tight end, offensive line. That was the McGlinchey, uh, Steve Elmer, John Montalis, Hunter Biven, Colin McGovern, class on offense. That's a heck of an offensive class. Defensively, you had Isaac Rochelle, Eddie Vanderdos, who ended up leaving. Jacob Matuska, linebacker, you had Jalen Smith, Doug Randolph. Doug Randolph was a big-time recruit. I mean, he was a top 250 kid, top 200 kid uh, that they beat Stanford for. Michael Deeb, you had Cole Luke. I loved Cole Luke. I, Brian Mingo mm-hmm. ruined him. And you had Max Redfield, and there was one other. The, uh, Devin Butler was in that class as well. And then they got a kid named Rashad Kinlaw, who ended up getting kicked out of school. I think I named everybody, didn't I? I think I, I, I saw you pulling it up. That I, I think I got everybody. But like Greg uh, Bryant was a top 50 wait, guy. That was the Jalen Smith year, right? Jaylen Correct. Smith, Redfield. Jalen yeah. was a top 10 player. Greg Hunter Bryant. Biven. Did you say Hunter, Hunter Biven? Biven? I said Hunter Biven. I think I said yeah. Hunter Biven. John Mothless, Steve Elmer. I might not have said him. Colin McGovern. That was the five-man class. And that was a heck of a class. Torrey Hunter. You said Torrey yep. Hunter? I said Torrey Hunter. Yeah. Yep. yep. So that was a really, really good class. And Torrey Hunter was ranked a lot higher before he, he broke his leg. I mean, he had a really bad leg injury that he, yeah. he heard at the Army game. That was that his best a- class, in my opinion. Yeah. But I think that class also signified – what was always the flaw of Brian Kelly's classes, and that is that they came up short at some key positions from numbers standpoint. They came up short in the secondary of, of pure corners because Ken Law was more of a safety. Devin Butler was more should have been a safety. I mean, I mean he played corner Notre Dame, but he should have been a safety. His his best chance of success was a safety. And they came up short on edge players, you know, because Isaac Rochelle was your edge guy in that class. And I I don't know if you're what you thought of this, but I've always felt Isaac Rochelle would have been an even better player if they would have let him fill out and move inside. I think it would have been, been a better three technique than a strong side end. That's that's how I've always felt about him. Yeah. I mean, I mean so, that's kind of what he did when he got into the NFL a little bit with the Chargers. Right. They, they kind of used him more as an inside, yeah. like four, four, five, three tech at times yeah. too. So, yeah, I agree. So I think, you know, what we're, what we're hoping to see from Coach Freeman is that they build more balance. And I think that's the key. And and that's the thing, like with the A&M's class last year, there was just some errors where they, they just – they didn't, they didn't get the kind of player they needed to to have the kind of balance to have an elite. You know, if you're going to talk about best class ever, then you can't have misses. I mean, you just can't. I mean, you're talking about best class ever. Go compare that Texas A&M class to what, to what the uh, the Notre Dame in 19 – I was talking with somebody the other day. Like, Notre Dame's 1990 recruiting class was just insane. I mean, it just was like – you look at the guys they signed in that class, and it's just like, what the heck are you doing? I mean, it was just absolutely nutty. It was like – Bryant Young, Aaron Taylor, Jerome Bettis. It's just like, you know. That's that's Hall of Famers. (laughs) Right, right. And there's a bunch of other guys. I'm actually like, I got a thing from Lou Samoji that lists some of the guys that were in that class. But it just, it was really, uh, I think we talked about the other day, but here's just some of the names. Kevin McDougal, Jeff Burris, first-round pick. Oscar McBride playing the NFL. Lake Dawson was a third-round pick. Tim Ruddy was a second-round pick. Jim Flanagan was a fourth-round pick. Oliver Gibson, I think, played in the NFL. Brian Hamilton started on that 1993 team. Pete Bursich was drafted. Tom Carter, first-round pick. Let me see here. I know he has it down there. Let's see, first-round picks. Five first-round picks. In one class. In, in one class. And then Tim <laughs> Ruddy was a second-round pick. You know, silly, I mean, man. it just – silly. Absolutely nuts. And they weren't all linemen either. I mean, Tom Carter and Jeff Burris were, were two DBs that in and, and Jerome Bettis. So you only had two of them were linemen, right? Taylor and Aaron and Bryant Young. 
Mm-hmm. And they weren't just first round picks. Like Jerome Bettis was top 10. Aaron Taylor was one of the lower ranked guys. Wasn't Brian, didn't Brian Young was like seventh? He was, I think, picked seventh. So like two, at least two of the Tom Carter was in the teens, I believe. Uh, I'm gonna look, I'm gonna look this up real quick. But like he was he was picked really high. I think I actually think I actually think Aaron Taylor and Jeff Burris were the two lowest drafted guys in that class. I could be wrong. Uh but I don't think Aaron Taylor was like top 10. I could I could be completely wrong on that. Uh, let's see here. There's an Aaron Taylor from Nebraska. Yeah, Aaron Taylor was 16th and mm-hmm. Jeff Burris was 27th. And wow. so, yeah, because you had Jerome Bettis was 10th. Tom, Okay, I was wrong. Tom Carter was 17th. So Aaron Taylor went ahead of him. So that class produced the number 7, 10, 16, 17, 27th picks plus Tim Ruddy was a third round, a second round pick and had a very long NFL career. It's not I say that's a pretty good class. Decent, that's a pretty good class. All right. I think that is going to do it here. Uh, at Tyler Bedwell, we were talking about this earlier. What happened with Eddie Vanderdose's recruitment? I wasn't in the loop on recruiting. So he signed with Notre Dame. Two things happened. Number one is his dad didn't want him at Notre Dame. Eddie wanted to be at Notre Dame and Notre Dame made a mistake that kind of allowed the dad to really push him out. And they announced, so Eddie signed with Notre Dame, but he didn't want them to announce it until he was going to have a ceremony later that day. Well, some SID person at Notre Dame included Eddie Vanderdose in the package they provided at signing day. And so it kind of took his moment away. And that was one of the many things that the dad was able to use. And then there's like, you know, I've got a sick relative and all that other kind of stuff. But it just, it was, he was never sold on that. And then T Shepard was somebody asked, he was in 2012. T Shepard, because I always think that Romeo Guara was, I always first, second, oh yeah, oh, Romeo Guara was in 2013 too. No, he was a 2012 guy as well. So that 2012 D line class ended up being a lot better than people thought. Yeah, Jerron Jones, Sheldon Day, and Romeo Guara. That that's not bad. That's that's not, not bad. That's not bad. Uh, Brandon Plenzer says Jason Moore has stated that he wants to visit in order to see a practice. That was a very important to him. Can you see him still committing to Notre Dame even without seeing a practice? Y- yes. Yes. Because he didn't that see may- anybody else practice either, right? I mean, he went exactly. to Ohio State for a spring game, correct? I think so. Yeah. I mean, so Brandon, that's one part of when I was saying like there's kind of been a lull in the recruitment. That's one of the things that did give me unsettlement for a second right because he had told us that he wanted to see a practice so that does give you kind of you know, pause for a minute but I, I agree with brian i don't think it's going to be a deterrence like if he wants to be at notre dame i don't think that's going to stop him from being at notre dame yep no doubt so everybody before we get out of here as my guy mace ak always says join the message board click the button click the like button subscribe to the channel hit the notification bell share the podcast leave a five-star review and as always go irish so everybody have a great rest of your day we will not be having another show today as of right now we don't have a plan on having another show right now but that's why you have to hit that notification bell right because if for some reason we decide we are going to have a show later today which right now we don't have one that wasn't me teasing you but if something happened and we did you would get notified right away that's why you got to subscribe why you got to notify Come join the conversation on the message board. We're having a lot, a lot of good talk. I'd be curious from the people that are on the message board that also are on the YouTube channel, if you guys would actually like us to have a show about the Transfer Portal article that I wrote, where we talk about the portal and some thoughts. Uh, I'd I'd love to talk about that. I'm just not sure how interesting that would be for you all. So let me know on the message board and, and here and other ways if you think that would be something you'd like for us to address 
Uh, if you're not sure what I'm talking about, I published an article yesterday where I basically said if they want to fix college football, one of the things they need to do is fix the portal. And I had some ideas on how it went. Ryan and I had a really good discussion on it yesterday. So I think there's a lot of practical stuff. I tried to use my background as a coach, as a player who did transfer. And then, of course, doing this job for about 20 years is sort of why I feel like I have a unique perspective on it. So um, be curious to hear what everybody has to say. So thank you all for joining us. Have a great rest of your day. Join the message board. Do all that stuff that my man may say Kate told you to do. And as always, make sure you come back again tomorrow. Thank you all so much for joining the Irish Breakdown podcast. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.